like in High School Musical when Sharpay and Ryan are like, brr, brr, ma. <laughs> do you want to be doing a warm up before we start yeah. together? Yeah, that'd be. <laughs> brr, brr, ma. Ma. Do, we, ma. <laughs> do I have to do it high, high pitched? No, I can do it hard. just my own, my own voice. <laughs> so many, so many, so many damn books. Welcome to So Many Damn Books. A blessing, a curse, a podcast. I am Christopher, the host, and joining me in the damn library, in the flesh, in person, is the co-owner of the damn library herself. Owner. What else would it be? renter at best i would say we are <laughs> yeah well but okay. we moved the damn library oh, around oh true the, the books make the library not the room i hear you okay. yeah we, I'm, I'm speaking out of turn it, you've cut into your own intro <laughs> sarah is joining me for the second official time in official capacity and hi hi welcome <laughs> thank you <laughs> i'm so glad you could be here yeah in the in the library, in our own apartment. I'm so enjoying welcoming you to a room in your own apartment. <laughs> Thank you so much. What yeah. a gracious host. Beverages yeah. and everything. Well, sure. It has to start with a beverage. And I thought, no better beverage than a shared favorite cocktail. Mm -hmm. The French 75. Delicious which I didn't make any modifications to. I made a pretty standard one, although I used Prosecco instead of Brut or Champagne. Mm -hmm. But they're pretty interchangeable in a lot of ways. I think a lot of people would disagree with you, but it's fine by me. <laughs> Basically, all of wine is the same. <laughs> Red, white, sparkling. <laughs> Just it's pour all it in a juice glass <laughs> and bottoms up, whatever temperature. <laughs> That's anyway. exactly right. That's exactly right. I remember there was this wine bar in San Francisco where they pointedly on their menu said, all of our wine is poured into mason jars because we don't. Because fuck you. <laughs> yeah. That's why. Yeah. We Get don't your grubby the wine. hot little hands around <laughs> that mason jar. Yeah. They were just cackling in the back room as we warmed our white wine with our hands. But the French 75, uh, I did not know this. I looked it up the history of the cocktail. Then it was apparently invented at the New York bar. Hell yeah. In Paris. So oh, well, <laughs> close. Still good. <laughs> um, by Harry McElhone. And it was called the French 75 because it was named for its strong kick. That's almost like being shelled by a French field gun. A 75 millimeter French field gun. That's interesting. And that, that is so much more violent than i ever thought that's not how i experienced this particular cocktail but it's very very vivid <laughs> you don't feel Kinetic. like you just got shot i don't uh it's it's a lovely drink it's just lemon juice simple syrup gin and then prosecco and apparently also you're supposed to be serving it in a collins glass Instead, I'm serving it in these ridged coops that are basically buckets. They're so large. These so are the biggest coops. This is what happens when you buy all of your glassware online and you don't pay attention to the rim Legends. size. Yeah. 
but it's delicious and I'm so glad to be sharing it with you. Cheers. Bomba's mission is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you're also giving to someone in need. Bombas designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every day. I have many, many pairs of Bombas socks. They come in tons of options. They're really beautiful colors. They're so, so comfortable. I'm always happy to be pulling a pair of Bombas socks from my drawer. There are comfy performance styles for every sport and activity that keeps you moving. Go to bombas.com slash SMDB and get 20% off your first purchase. These are expensive socks, so this is a really nice deal. Go to bombas.com slash SMDB. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash SMDB for 20% off. Bombas.com slash SMDB. Next up is what did you buy? Do you want to talk to me about something you bought? You can go first. I will then. Thank you. You know this because I share all the posts with you and you share them back to me. Um, this Instagram account called will this make me happy Mm, mm -hmm. where she's an incredible baker and she's always um using the moment to get existential and it did this cure beautiful treat any of her existential dread and it's incredible incredible baking my favorite is a panna cotta that was shaped in a brownstone that had a perfect bite taken out of it for the picture. Mm-hmm. Did that one? Did that one make? No, it didn't make her happy. And that's the other thing. All of them is. Did this make me? Did this actually make me happy? And most of them are no. Um, it's kind of a tall order. It is. So, she and another person have decided to put out a literary magazine called Cake Zine. And so volume one is coming, and they say that it's an, a hedonistic exploration of history, co- pop culture, literature, and art, all through dessert. And I was just looking at some of the uh, titles of the pieces that are in it, mm-hmm. and I cannot wait. It looks like it's going to be absolutely gorgeous. They had a, a proof that they were flipping through on Instagram the other day, and I am so excited. Cake underscore zine. You can pre-order it right now. And I I bought this thing, but I am lying in wait. We are lying in wait because it will come to our apartment. Yeah, I'm glad we have one coming. Yeah. Okay, so what about you? So I just bought and only recently started reading, like I'm a couple of chapters in, to uh, Manhunt by Gretchen Felker-Martin, which I think came out in February. It's it's recent. It's newish. It's not the newest but um, it is a dystopian novel where the premise is uh, there's a virus that attacks anyone with a certain amount of testosterone in their bodies. So it's mostly a plague that impacts cisgender men um, and just sort of like the world that's left behind when cis men turn into these like, you know, disease ridden monsters. Uh, and I'm only a couple chapters in. It's very brutal very gory very visceral which is something that I 
like in <laughs> in a book. Um, but yeah, you know, if that's your thing, there's there's plenty of that in the first few chapters. I'm enjoying it so far. You've been going really gory recently. Yeah, I feel like when I'm not quite sure what sort of read I want or what direction I'm feeling pulled in, I will go toward like dystopian or horror or something yeah kind of kind of gross because it you know it it elicits a reaction it makes it makes something happen for me the last one was the the cannibal book tender is the flesh yes fantastic title Mm -hmm. what else could tender be tender is the night tender is the flesh can be so many things but that book is about um another another plague I think I'm interested in plagues other than the one that we are against all odds living through currently. I guess it's one of these (laughs) things that it's nice to read about a pandemic that ends. Yeah. Well, (laughs) mm. and it's nice to read about like other people's problems that are different from our problems. But in this one, like all animals on earth are infected with this disease that is fatal to humans. So all livestock is slaughtered all pets have to be killed theoretically they've wiped out all the animals on earth and cannibalism is made legal and sort of institutionalized so there are like slaughterhouses for humans so again pretty brutal pretty pretty gory read um so i guess i guess that's where i am lately (laughs) i guess i'm trying to interrogate the use of dessert and you're over here flesh (laughs) (laughs) oh i thought of something else that um was just sent to us and i i think we're both excited about it um e lockhart's yes uh new book which is a prequel to we were liars set 20 years in the past so it's about the parents it's called family of liars and i loved we were liars i thought it was an absolute incredible book and Mm -hmm. e lockhart is such a fun person to hang out with in fact you can listen to drew and i hang out with her many many years ago for uh, her book genuine fraud very fun episode of the show i'm sort of hoping for like a you know in riverdale where they go back and show all of the the older generation you know all the parents of the the current riverdale quote-unquote teenagers <laughs> messing around in the high school yeah those are those are fun episodes yeah who knew that D would be so contentious One thing that we have always had in common, beyond books themselves, Mm -hmm. I think our second date was at a bookstore. Yes. We we met. The wonderful books are magic. Yes. Uh, Is that we both work in books. You are at the biggest publisher in the world. Biggest trade publisher. Yeah, I work at Penguin Random House. I work in sales um, and I focus on backlist which you know is an industry term so but people know it i mean we even called episodes of the show backlist specials when it's just anything that's not recent i mean is there a specific you know how they institutionalized it i feel like most people think of it as books older than one year old which is not that old you know if you think about all of the books that are older than a year old, that's most books. That's most of the it's books. most of them. So in some ways, it's like a very useful designation, right? Because like 
like you're talking about with E. Lockhart, when a book is coming out, it's so exciting. You as a reader are super psyched for this book because you're a fan of this author. You've been waiting for it. You know it's coming. And on the publishing side, there's been so much work leading up to this. You know, it's been so long since the contracts were signed and the manuscript was edited and everything. And there's been like a ton of marketing and publicity and sales work and all the months leading up to it. There's just like so much before a book goes on sale and then it goes on sale. You know, and then like it finally enters into the public consciousness. So like in some ways it's a really useful distinction because there's so much that happens before a book goes on sale, of course, to get it ready mm-hmm. and to get people amped about it. Um, but and then that's like very different work from totally the work that's done. And, you know, I think everyone would be forgiven for thinking that uh, once all that fanfare is over, it is basically done. Right. Yeah. You know. Books are are not orphaned, (laughs) (laughs) right? Like, hopefully it'll be reissued in a different format, like in a paperback format. Um, Or if it's Dune in 85,000 different formats. Right. Dune is indefatigable. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to leave that. Indefatigable. Indefatigable. There you go. So you are now working with that world yeah i am working with backlist books which is yeah which again is most most of the books if you haven't read it it's new to you it reminds me of when i my first job in books was working at a barnes and noble Mm. and i got that sort of walk and talk uh, tour of the bookstore and uh and we were standing in front of the cookbooks and the and the director of the of the tour you know the manager of the store was saying that this this section is the section that sells the most back for the entire store is is cookbooks backlist Hmm. was like the biggest thing for a suburban barnes and noble was that's what people come in and buy see and i'm it's interesting because those stay in hardcover usually and they're sort of higher priced than a lot of other, than like a novel, than like a paperback that you might pick up. So I wonder if they were talking about like, you know, purely sa- like dollars, dollars per square foot of the of the store, which like, of course, the managers of the store would need to know. You know, I, I w- learned early on that it's it's never the new books. It's all the stuff that's just tried and true or just suddenly interesting again. No matter how highly anticipated a book is, and, you know, even if it's on the New York Times bestseller list and just has, like, a huge first week in terms of sales, like, the the hope, the great hope in publishing is that it just continues to sell and sell and sell for its whole life cycle, you know? And there are a lot of these books where it seems as though every human being on planet Earth must have read it by now, but, you know, there's... There are new readers born every minute, right? <laughs> right. So it, there, there are always new audiences um, that we can that we can help unite with the kinds of books that they want to read, and that's the work that I'm doing. I think that the um, the clearest sign of this to me is just TikTok and the way that people mm. like are clutch at, you know, a copy of Perks of Being a Wallflower totally. and being like, I just read this book. It's the most amazing book I've ever read. You guys have to hear about it, and. It's so exciting, you know, and the worst thing to apply to that, and a lot of people do, of course, because the internet is a terrible place, um, you know, like, you're just getting to that, but no, it's... Yeah, there's no wrong time. There's no wrong time to pick up a good book. That's so true. Yeah. And everybody in this industry works so hard, 
about getting these books in front of you that it's sad to think that like it wouldn't be past like the two months that it's covered in media that there a book has a longer life i don't know i i'm thinking about something that we talk about every night i feel like is the industry is changing or it's it, it seems to be moving in a direction well, where it might be always. able to change what what do you mean Everybody had this realization during the pandemic that work can be different and, mm. and no time like the present to ask for what you've always wanted. Mm-hmm. And it just seems like publishing is not immune. And it's on the heels of that. People are really being open about why they're leaving publishing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and especially recently, you know, there's been a lot of conversation about people leaving especially editorial jobs for good, leaving the industry for good because it's just not tenable for everyone. And, you know, like I, like so many people who work in book publishing, I started out thinking that I wanted to be an editor and I, you know, was an editorial assistant for years, uh, working that life of spending the days assisting a team of editors who were doing the thing that I thought that I wanted to do. And then trying to read manuscripts in my own time on the nights and the weekends and just like trying to make it work. And like, obviously I couldn't because I work in sales now and I, I happened to make that transition and not leave the industry. But I, I get it. In case you don't know, there have been these sort of viral letters of many different people saying as they're leaving out the door, their explanation for what it is they're leaving because of. And it's these it's these invisible hours where yeah and I you know that's just been expected of people and in some ways it's like the only way that you can move up in your career particularly in editorial and you know I have heard it called wage theft right if you're on an hourly salary and you're doing work off the clock that's labor that you're not being paid for and you know I I hear that I hear that and it's expected labor it's not stuff that you're no one's no one's saying like you're going up above and beyond by doing that you're doing what's expected and this is something that is happening with you know in in the agent world as well um and it's something that i hear about and it is something that is talked about at all levels of all of publishing to the point where it seems like with these publishing meme accounts like xoxo publishing and um publishers brunch Mm -hmm. these these people are are making these anonymous platforms which is the first step being able to share your experience with other people and find out that oh this is not just me this is not just a struggle that i'm having by myself because i am not a worthy player in publishing it's just every single person is under the same horrible grinding gears for sure and i i think it takes a lot of courage for people to create these open letters that we're seeing on on Twitter and elsewhere of people leaving and explaining why they did sort of as like a public exit interview because these are problems that people should hear about. And it, it seems like paths upward in publishing and paths to publishing sort of dry up every day mm-hmm. and, you know, it's becoming less accessible, period. Like so, for so many people, those paths just never existed in the first place and we're all worse for it, you know, Mm -hmm. whether it's like booksellers, editors, people working in other capacities in publishing, agents, writers, like there are so many people for whom this is not 
a tenable way to make a living. Right. And if you don't give the people who are supposed to come grow into these roles yeah. a place to grow so that they can grow into the role that they're going to eventually have to take, it's just, you know, a talent suck for the industry. It's just like great minds are just leaving because... Because they have to eat and pay their bills. Yeah. And, you know, when you're looking when you're looking at an editorship that is going to pay, you know, 60 grand to start in New York City and you're comparing that to like a podcasting <laughs> um, salary at one of these yeah. big places, it's it's or funny. Like, why would you another digital marketing position outside of the publishing industry that pays twice as much? And, you know, there is sort of the idea that you do it for the love of the game or for the cultural capital that it provides you. And like, you can ask my student loan servicer if they accept cultural capital instead of actual capital, you know, <laughs> like th these are real concerns. And, you know, I've worked at the same company for seven years and there is a lot to really like about it. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, there are, there are conversations about unionizing happening all over the industry, you know, at, at all of the publishing houses, for booksellers, for writers, for agents, sort of, we, we all have similar concerns. And I think one common concern is that there's just, you know, not necessarily a living wage for any of us, mm -hmm. especially folks who are starting out, especially folks who are choosing to live in the New York metro area. Um, but it's, you know, it, it's sort of across the industry, but these kinds of these groups sometimes have competing interests and I think it's really telling that sort of all at once and you know this in, I, I would even include like it's not exclusively books of course but like the Amazon warehouse workers are unionizing mm -hmm. like every yeah no I, I I follow these union unionization efforts and all I can mm -hmm. think is like it can s such things can only be good for books oh yeah we we as readers will be treated to just so much better everything if everybody could be compensated fairly and there were clear paths. So, you know, you we, we have to wake up and think that we're going to be making the industry that we want to be in and not just grind until we're dead in the industry we already have. I feel like technology has changed the book industry so much with like the advent of digital audiobooks and ebooks and all of that. And it's also changed like how everyone works you know being an assistant is not the same as being an assistant was 20 years ago let's say and you know the idea that you're somehow that it's an honor or an education to be like taking lunch orders and managing someone's calendars you know it's I, I don't want to be doing things that you know a well-programmed Siri can do yeah yeah exactly <laughs> exactly like the office has changed right the office like we're <laughs> we're talking right now in what is frequently both of our offices yeah surrounded by stacks of books that we continue to love even though it seems like you know what price bananas about some of these well and i think like the unionizing efforts are because people want it to be better right they want to keep making these incredible right? books that we all love I love working in this industry and I want it to be better. I want it to be more sustainable and I want it to have more upward mobility for the people everyone. that want to be involved. in. And it. I want it to invite more kinds of people into the fold to begin with, you know, like I'm old enough to remember the days of unpaid internships, you know, but like that, I, I, <laughs> I, 
I just think it's it's a, a ridiculous thing for anyone to have ever put up with. And I'm I'm glad that that's no longer the way things are done. And I think that, you know, that's the bare minimum. And yeah, I'm I'm glad that people are having these conversations. Well, I'm glad I have you to sound off on these <laughs> things every day when we get home. I don't love talking about the show on the show but i've been talking to you about ideas that i have of of stuff i want to do on the show mm-hmm. and i think it's time for me I've, I've always wanted to do this is i want to feature the unsung heroes of the reading world the readers more on this show so if you listener slash reader would like to come on the show and talk to me about your reading life, please email me at so many damn books at gmail.com and I'll send you a little questionnaire and we can uh, figure this out. I think it'll be a really fun thing. It might just be a thing for patrons. It might just be a small section of other episodes. I'm not sure exactly how it'll work because I haven't done it yet, but it, this is all contingent on you, the listener. So, so many damn books at gmail.com, or you can submit yourself through the so many damn submissions uh, portion of the website, and you can reach me through that. So, please do. And I'm very excited to hear from you about this. That's fun. I hope, I mm-hmm. hope it'll be fun. Yeah. So, Sarah, before we go, Mm. the last thing. Still have some drink left. Perfect. It's recommendation time. What do you have to recommend to the good people? Um, Okay, I have have two things. One is a candle. Because I don't know how often you mention candles on the podcast. Mm-hmm. But this is this is a candle household. <laughs> we burn candles in this apartment and we burn them a lot. And Christopher is a person who used to, if you can believe it, buy candles from the dollar store without even smelling them first. <laughs> no shade to the dollar store at all. But he wouldn't even smell them. He would just buy them and bring them home. And sometimes they would smell like old sweet tarts. And over the course of the pandemic, Christopher has transitioned into being a fancy candle person. That's true. Never thought I would see the day. Um, I have long been a fancy candle person, so it's a very welcome transition. And um, one of my favorite candles is made by a company called Keep, K-E-A-P, and it's called Wood Cabin. And that's exactly what it smells like. And I burn it in this very room when I'm doing yoga because the damn library come office come yoga studio um and it's the most transportative fragrance that i think we have it's a delight smells like a wood cabin yeah it's amazing and i also have an album to recommend that doesn't need my assistance but i've been really digging it lately (laughs) (laughs) you felt weird saying digging it huh (laughs) shut up it is the most recent Mitski album called Laurel Hell, mm. which, you know, Mitski albums are great because it usually feels like a night at the sad disco 
And I think this one does too in a really great, delightful, enjoyable way. You know, there's like one song that samples Maneater by Hall and Oates, which is just like a bop and a half. Um, but I just sort of think of Mitski as like the troubadour of the vibes being off, which I guess is sort of how I feel. So that album has been scoring a lot of my walks around Brooklyn lately as the spring sort of refuses to arrive and I'm I'm trapped in this like hopeful but melancholy headspace it's been yeah it's been the soundtrack to all that mm. she's <laughs> amazing yeah it's a great album I, I'll, I'll recommend an album too just because I saw them perform it last mm. night um, I saw Wilco perform Yan- Yankee Hotel Foxtrot in its entirety for the album's anniversary and it's just it was an excellent reminder of just how incredible that suite of music is. It's just a very few albums come into your life that are just seem kind of perfect, and that one does seem from start to end. I don't I don't skip anything. It's just an amazing collection of songs. All killer. Exactly. The other thing I'm going to recommend is a podcast. Mm. Um, it's a podcast called Chameleon. They have, it's about con artists of all sorts of stripes and each season covers a different person. And the most recent season was called Wild Boys. And it, and the, um, the guy who's telling the story lived in the town and was living there when this happened, when these two very emaciated boys stepped out of the forest and said that they had been living with their parents in the bush in the wild and they'd never had any contact with the outside world and they had escaped because they wanted to eat only fruit they wanted to be fruitarians and this is a real story and it's a crazy podcast um i listened to it with i I just couldn't stop listening to it and i I think that you all will feel the same way. Only fruit. Yeah. Sounds like some sort of like weird vegan diet scam. Apparently there are people that say that they're fruitarians. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the boys w- is always talking about his hero, Steve Jobs, who was a fruitarian. Steve Jobs was a fruitarian? It was one of the ways that he was trying to fight the cancer. Seems like it'd be a lot of sugar, no? I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I don't. I guess I'll have to listen to the podcast. <laughs> I don't think it's a viable di- diet. <laughs> well, it didn't work for Steve Jobs. It didn't, and it also didn't work for Ashton Kutcher, who was who adopted it when he was really? playing Steve Jobs for that movie. Oh my god! Are you guys enough? <laughs> enough? Is is that? Me- I feel like there's now a conversation about like. Even the bad method acting that you thought was method acting is not actually method acting, but it's still bad. It's all bad. <laughs> I do believe that's the conversation now. Of um, have you just don't, what, don't just eat fruit for a movie role. You, <laughs> you can just be right. It's that old story with um, uh, Lawrence Olivier and uh, Dustin Hoffman. Right, young Dustin Hoffman, who he had to play hungover, so he got really drunk. And came in hungover, and he was like, ah, or I don't know the real story. 
people you can yeah, look up the details like, my dear boy why don't you try acting yeah exactly. <laughs> you my tr- dear boy <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's incredible that was an incredible Lawrence olivier Thank impression you so much. <laughs> i'm a method actor <laughs> okay so go do those things and listen to those things and i will be back actually in a month i'm gonna take the next episode off because i am taking a writing retreat so that'll be fun uh, but I will be back. And in the meantime, the best thing to do is go to patreon.com slash smdb. Or you can leave me a review on iTunes. I'm always very excited when I get a review on iTunes. Or if you want to submit yourself to be a reader feature. That sounds fun. You should do it. Uh Go ahead and email me at so many damn books at gmail.com and I will send you the little questionnaire and we can figure it out. Woo! Thank you, Sarah, for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me in our apartment. Yeah, it was so nice to <laughs> allow you into the room while, while I record. Yeah, usually that door's closed. Not allowed in. Red light recording in progress. And now it's over. Bye.